look, the world is full of strange breasts. In full of strange time, breasts in this this shitty Jenga time. In these unprecedented, unfamiliar boob times, it's Everything. it's a strange world out there. Strange boobs here, there, around the square. fine welcome to say smut everything's fine welcome to say smut a literary podcast for readers and non-readers yes that's sarah she loves books and that's hope she really loves talking um each episode i break down some of the plots of some pretty wild books to hope who has not read them and shocker yet again today hope did not come having read the book i on the other hand have read the book um look i loved the crazy uh responses we got from specifically family and friends of our last episode being about a door so we all had a crazy day that day it was wild and there will be more of that to come i recently the other night in last minute like oh, I can't fall asleep. I'm just going to scroll. I saved a bazillion Kindle books that were essentially that vibe. Amazing. That's so, what I like to hear. But we're going to dial it back. We're going to come back to um, some other literary options. Uh, we're going to go to one of my favorite genres, one of my comfort genres, which is historical romance. Um, So if I find my place in our notes, I will also tell you what uh, the... Uh, content warnings are which there are really no content warnings um there is kidnapping technically but it is like the most comedic funny kidnapping there is so like it's not like being held at knife point or anything like that you know anything crazy it's like these people kidnap and they just roll up and roll out like it's a joke the entire time um and then there's also like some groping but it is pretty it is pretty comedic groping i don't know how to say it um but it is like it's not like super serious nothing in this book is serious i'm gonna tell you right now nothing in this book is serious so no offense i'm not here for serious i'm here for a little bit of silly i'm here for all the silliness and if you guys can get on board with all of this i think uh we will move forward otherwise if that's not your vibe if you want no silliness and uh no uh anything we just talked about subscribe come back we'll chat later um so on story graph this has a rating of 3.59 on goodreads 3.89 i believe i gave it a five out of five <laughs> interesting look okay so this book is the lady most willing which is actually a second book in a duology written by three authors all right do the math i see you i see you doing that little math meme of the woman looking into equations just floated in front of and behind my head as i thought really hard about two books written by three authors Yes. So this was a collaboration um, between Julia Quinn, uh, Eloisa James, and uh, I got to think who the last one is, Connie Brockway. And from what I get of these authors, obviously Julia Quinn, our Lord and Savior um, of historical romance, she 
wrote the Bridgerton series. We've yes. covered her before. We will continue covering the Bridgerton series at a later time and date once we get the season three release time. I cannot wait for Colin and Penelope. I hated their book. They were my least favorite book, but what can you do? Um, so we've established Julia Quinn in one of our other podcasts. So let's talk about Eloisa. Um, she actually has a PhD from Yale, which if you remember, Julie Quinn is also mega smart and chose to write historical romance. Like sophisticated novels. Something's in the water with historical romance and just super duper smart women. Um, James has this really great quote that is, quote, when I rip off my power suit, whether it's academic or romance, underneath is a rather tired chocolate stained sweatshirt of a mom, end quote. And how? I look, I'm not a mom mom. I'm a mom to a cat, but I I think every woman in the world can relate. I'm chocolate stained either way. I'm chocolate stained all the time. Um, by the way, one time I sat in chocolate before I went to school oh, on accident. No. There was like a stain of chocolate and I sat in it. And then I got to like second period and a girl I gave up presentation. I went to sit down and a girl told me I got my period. It was like a whole thing and I did not get my period. So anybody who went to my high school um, freshman year, I did not get my period. I still stand by that about 10 years later, over 10 years later, I did not get my period that day. Setting the record straight. Thank you for coming to Sarah's TED Talk. (laughs) Thank you for coming to my confessional. Um, So like Connie Brockway is our neighbor to the north in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she also has a bunch of academic background and pretty much all three women are like kick-ass, like patron saints of historical romance to some degree, you know, like these are powerhouses. So they oh, all said, uh. yeah, they said, Hey, let's come together and write a couple books together. So what this is, is a book in three parts. I read the second book before the first one. I don't think it matters which one you read first. They're just three stories in each book, but they do have some events that correlate uh, correlate to each other, align, correline to each hmm. other. Uh, and so if you want, you can read them in whatever order you want. I read them backwards, but this one was my favorite. The other one's good. This one's better, I think. So are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Well, I'm going to start by telling you that our first story is written by Julia Quinn. Okay. Okay. Good to know. There are a bunch of first and last names and titles of different people. I'm going to refer to everybody by pretty much their first name or their nickname. Okay. Cool. That works for me. It is 1819. And there is a terrible snowstorm that's about to hit this Scottish region that we are in. Okay. We are in a castle that I cannot name and is not real to my understanding because this is a fictional book. But there is a castle and the castle's owner is Taryn Ferguson. He is a Scottish man. He's got his kilt on and he goes to his men. They're drunk and they're loud. And he says, you know what? I hate our neighbor, you know, a couple miles down the road. I hate that English guy down the road. He's having a party with a bunch of women. And I, and like, you know, they're having a party. I, I hate them. But also, here's my main gripe with the world. My wife died and we never had children. Mm. So I have no one to pass our, like, legacy down to. It's going to go to one of my two nephews. 
one one of them in particular. Um, so Terrence, like the first nephew, his name is Robin. He's going to be the primary person who gets all of the goodies when Taryn dies. Okay. First, firstborn nephew. Yes, the firstborn nephew. Um, so Robin is half French, which if if the, the Scottish and English can agree on anything. It's that they hate French people, I guess. That's what I took away from this. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> he will be the one that inherits the, you know, the castle. And the thought is, is that if Robin marries a Scottish woman, then, mm-hmm. their, then their kid will be truly Scottish and the line will live on in Scottish history. Sure. The other nephew is Byron, who was going to be married... But his fiance was caught in a compromising situation oh. with her dance instructor. Escandalo. Who is also French. Oh. But that, <laughs> the French just suck in this book. Okay. Oh. Um, so technically he needs to be married off too. So Taryn says, you know what? I hate my neighbor. Mm-hmm. And he's got a bunch of guests at his house right now. I think we should go fuck with them. Um, and maybe okay. pick up some potential wives for my nephew. Can you like give us women love pranks? <laughs> women love to be famously upon. love being involved in pranks, especially when you hear what, how this prank is going to go. So, will you give us a kind of vibe check of what Scotland English Scottish English people are vibing in the 1800s at this time, please? Absolutely. Here's the vibe of Britain in around 1819. It's bad. The whole vibe is really not bad. great. Specifically not great. Um, before I get started, our initial thought when I was going to research this topic would be that there was some sort of very specific historical feud that this might be referencing. And to my knowledge, there is not. No. Um, the vibe is bad because everybody's having a bad time <laughs> and not necessarily because of anything one group of. Well, we'll get into it. Anyway, so I'm about to dump on you a lot of precursors to this time that sort of resulted in the time being shitty like it is presently, ruining the vibes. And a big thank you to the nationalarchives.gov.uk because pretty much all of my research came from them. Great. Here we go. So first things first, a bit of a precursor. In 1815, so a few years before the time setting of the book, uh, after more than 20 years of war, Emperor Napoleon Bonaparte was defeated in Waterloo. Which, which is, is probably why they hate the French, right? Like, I don't I mean, think it helps. Yeah, they've probably been, not. There had been this war for over 20 years, and I don't think it probably helps. But um, in 1815, that kind of comes to a close. The victory ended continued attempts by France to overtake Europe and also destroyed Napoleon's imperial power, which is I good. Um, so just this, this is a, a kind of important foundation on which a lot of other things are going to get topped on top of. I didn't topped. research of which we're all going to get topped. <laughs> um, I did not do research on Napoleon's reign or the war. You just need to know that it happened recently and it's significant to this uh, place in time. So in the following years, um, Britain is generally at peace. But despite this sort of end to Napoleon being a little shit, everything was also terrible and bad. Um, a few things happening at once. First, 
after the war, around half a million soldiers and sailors were demobilized. Um, so they came back from war and then entered the economy where a bunch of industries that were uh, booming and making a lot of items during the war are now shrinking because the war is over. So it's kind of like a, a whole lot of dudes ready to work and industries needing fewer workers because they're not experiencing the warm time boom anymore. Um, that's a piece of this uh, shitty Jenga. Another piece of this shitty Jenga is that there is a decrease in trading in Britain's northern manufacturing districts. That happens in both or in 1816, 1817, and then again in 1819, which is our year in question. So in the middle of this book, uh, there's like down trade in trade. It's all happening kind of in northern Britain, which can encompass the Scotland area. It's all can, very bad. Can I just say I love the term uh, shitty Jenga. I think we yeah. should trademark Jenga. that. Correct. Shitty Jenga, like a series of events that lead up to the downfall. Uh -huh. <laughs> another, uh, Yet another piece in our shitty Jenga is that in 1816, there was a year without summer, also known as the lost summer, which is as terrible as it sounds. What happened was that um, in Indonesia, there's this uh, volcano that erupted mount tambora i believe is how that's pronounced um huge eruptions one of the biggest eruptions to have happened i mean at the, at least at the time in recent history um it resulted in the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people just you know by nature of it being a volcano and also it put so much ash into the air that the average global temperatures decreased a lot um by uh, 0. 0.4 to 0. 0.7 degrees Celsius, which is about 0. 0.7 to 1 degrees Fahrenheit. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but when it, we're talking about the global temperature and everything that, you know, is dependent on that temperature, it really, really fucks up everything a lot. So this, uh, it, the volcano erupted, it shot a lot of, of uh, ash and stuff into the sky and then the the global temperature decreased and it made weather specifically in europe and north america extra cold and extra wet um and extra bad. extra cold and extra wet yeah sounds terrible so yeah i am going to quote andrew Scherer who is a lead study author and research associate at the university of edinburgh school of geosciences um Andrew said, the eruption injected a huge amount of sulfur, sulfur dioxide into the stratosphere, which would have quickly spread across the world, oxidizing from sulfate aerosols. These volcanic aerosols reduce net shortwave radiation, causing widespread, long-lasting surface cooling. They also lead to a reduction in global rainfall while wetting some dry reasons and causing more dynamic changes in the large-scale circulation of both ocean and atmosphere. So basically, I'm telling that to give you the actual science of why it caused the temperature to drop, um, if that's something that you needed more science on. But if you didn't, it's, you can just trust me when I tell you that if a big volcano shoots a lot of ash into the sky, uh, all of that ash is going to fuck up the planet. I'm going to find Pompeii-related stuff, and then we can have this conversation once again. I'm For sure. sure. For I'm sure. sure we can do that. I don't, yes. Sorry, so, everybody. So to bring it all back, in, in 1816, this volcano erupted all the weather is fucked it impacted every season but the most noticeable weather impacts happen in the summer and this temperature change resulted in crops failing and famine and disease and then subsequently death and so on so like that happened in 1816 and that's another piece of our shitty jenga uh and on top of that 
at around this time, beginning in 1815 and also in 1819, all throughout this time, there are a lot of protests happening across Britain uh, for people who want government reform for a variety of different reasons. Um, I don't want to go into all of it, but the peak of this is an event that's known as Peterloo. Peterloo. Um, so in eight, <laughs> Somebody in eight, call ABBA. In, yeah, why didn't they sing about this one? Probably because it was sad and, and depressing. Um, in 1819, around 60,000 people gathered at St. Peter's Field in Manchester, and they were there to listen to a political reformer uh, speaker named Henry Hunt, who so he was going to gather a bunch of people in the field and talk about the various ways in which they wanted to reform the government. Um, everything started very peacefully. And then eventually local magistrates came in with the yeomanry, which is like a part-time or amateur cavalry. And they were coming to arrest Hunt, the speaker, and in the process managed to kill 11 people and injure 400 more people in the process. Whoops. Like... <laughs> Um, they call it Peterloo as like a nod or joke to the, the battle at Waterloo. Waterloo, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that happens in 1819. So there had already been sort of all this unrest and want for government reform amongst people. And also then this very violent event happened. Um, the result of which was that the government who, not surprisingly to me, were uh, in support of the magistrate's actions... <laughs> introduce a bunch of laws to eventually prevent people who wanted government reform from, you know, gathering and talking about it again. So uh, the government eventually passed something that would be known as the six acts. And they were intended to suppress meetings for the purpose of radical reform. Um, drilling for military exercises became forbidden and warrants were issued to search for firearms. There is an extended stack stamp duty on radical newspapers, which is basically just like they taxed newspapers who were reporting yes. on uh, this want. Yeah. You know, this want for government reform and reporting on what happened at Peterloo and stuff. Um, there were increases in magistrate powers. So they were then allowed to um, seize what they considered to be seditious literature. And then, uh, the Dish. magistrate was also given powers to prevent meetings designed to present petitions. So it was basically like, "Hey, we don't want to. We don't want to change. Uh, what if we make laws so that you can't complain anymore?" And this is where we, as the United States, can be like, "Hey, Britain, remember how we wanted like some freedoms? Like the case in point, like right here." <laughs> First Amendment right is important. And, and then also America was like, thanks for all of your excellent policing advice. We're really yeah, taking also, some tips from the magistrate. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna copy some of your notes later. Um that's great. So the vibes were bad. Basically, there had been a a whole war people were recovering from, and then it was peacetime, but there were lots of soldiers coming back and they couldn't find any jobs. And then this volcano exploded and all the weather got <laughs> fucked up and then all the crops got fucked up. And so people are have, have diseases and famine and, and also they want some political reforms and then they're getting killed for wanting political reforms. And so everybody's just having a bad, just a bad time. It, you know, it's bad when mother nature even steps in and is like, Hey, you guys cut it out. And then so, no one takes notes and, <laughs> And everyone's oh. like, let's just make it worse. Um, is that your research? That's my research. The research oh my is gosh. That. The vibes are bad. 
Here's what I'm also going to say. That's the most serious this episode is going to get. I, I agree. And I'm not going to get into it too much because we have a lot of ground to cover, but the tone is constantly reminding people that the Scottish are better than the English <laughs> because this is pre predominantly Scots. And if we also take like a 30,000 foot look at this, foot feet look at it, whatever you want to say, mm -hmm. uh, look at, at the situation. This has been going on for hundreds of years is like, it, like the English impeding on everybody else constantly, especially their neighbors and the Scottish being like, Hey, can you guys like, not, can you just like, not please. Um, so as we're going to hop back in and Taryn, as I said, is the uncle and Robin and Byron, who are the nephews, mm -hmm. obviously Robin is partially French. And then Byron spends a lot of his time in London. They both, both the nephews kind of do. So like Taryn is kind of like, you know, fuck you guys for constantly being down in London. <laughs> like, like Scotland's mm -hmm. so much better. <laughs> like, so everything is an undertone of we hate the English, but we hate, the French even more. <laughs> so sure. yes. So, okay. So Taryn's like, I've got these two nephews. I got to marry off. What should I do other than go pick some ladies up at the party down the road? Okay. Mm -hmm. So him and his men right before this snowstorm hits, like run down a couple miles down the road, which maybe they refer to as about two hours down the road. So it's, it's quite a ways. A um, yeah, that's actually quite a ways. I mean, in in today's mileage, probably not crazy. Yes. Is that on a horse or did they walk? I'm sure it's like a horse situation. Yeah. Man, because that's there's so a far down the road if it's two hours on a horse. <sighs> yeah, but like on a horse and carriage. Carriage also slows down. So I don't know. Somebody do the, the math there. But uh, I'm just saying that like they just casually go a couple hours down the road and they go to this party and Taryn is like, I want you to take this girl, this girl, and this girl. And he points out these different girls in the crowd that he wants his men to just take. Just Very seven brides for seven brothers. -y. Quite literally. I think, <laughs> I think there are some undertones there. Yes. <laughs> and so, so now we're going to jump back in. Um <laughs> Robin and Byron are just chilling at the castle, which if you want some mental imagery of the castle, there hasn't been a woman living there for a while. It is cold. It is damp. It is hardly used to its full extent. It is kind of run down. The primary problem we are running into with this family, with Robin, Byron, and Taryn, there's not a lot of money. So whoever is going to get married needs to marry into money because they technically have the titles. They just need the money to keep up everything. Okay. Uh -huh. And Makes so sense. Robin and Byron are like, Oh my gosh, where's our uncle? Like this is so dumb. And <laughs> they pop out and hear him roll up with his friends and they have an unfamiliar carriage with them. Okay. And out of the carriage topples four women, the okay? bonus ladies, <laughs> the bonus lady. So it's funny. Cause, uh, I'm going to call her cat. Her name is Catriona. Um, cat, pops out first she is not really of any nobility or money and the men accidentally grab her by mistake they were supposed to like <laughs> they they were just told get the girl in the blue dress well oh. turns out there are multiple girls in blue dresses that night um 
And it's hilarious because they all know each other, right? Like the social circles are pretty small, especially Mm -hmm. in Scotland where everybody's their neighbors, you know? And so Taryn looks at her and is like, Kat, what are you doing here? Like, <laughs> you're not invited to this. Like, intro the 90s sitcom music, like, wah, wah. Do, 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 do. <laughs> and it's just like, what are you doing here? And she's like, you kidnapped me. And he was like, that was a mistake. Now move out of the way. Let's get the real girls in here. Get out. He's like, Kat, get out of here. So then we have Fiona who has, quote, been on the shelf for a while. And we'll get into why she has, okay? I bet she's like a decrepit- 22? Yeah, it was like a decrepit 20-something. Yeah, no, she's like ancient in their minds. And then her younger sister, Marilla, is also there. So Fiona and Marilla are sisters. And she's kind of a drama queen. She's over the top. She's absolutely insane. You're going to love her. Okay. I say that with apprehension. And then there's Cecily. And she's technically English, but she has a lot of money. And they're kind of like, look. In that case. She's an English woman, but I guess we can make it work. And all of this is going to come out ironic in the end, okay? Mm -hmm. But they're also like, she has been like, there's some... There's some undertone of like, at this point, you know, something's going on with her because she's kind of like highly sought after, but hasn't been picked yet. So Uh, you're not sure why. mm -hmm. Okay. So those are our four ladies, but then they're like, hold on. There's one more in the carriage. Do you want to guess what might be in the carriage still? You're not going to, you're not going to guess correctly, but I want to hear what you have to say. Guess correctly. There's someone else in the carriage. I hope it's like a cat (laughs) or a dog. They're just like, we also accidentally kidnapped this really cute animal to be along for the ride. I wish it were, but it is the Duke of Brenton, Breton, Breton, who was sleeping in his carriage when this whole thing went down and then they just used his carriage as the getaway car. So now they just have Brett here too. I'm calling yeah, I'll go hang out with Kat, the other unwanted. <laughs> By the way, in the carriage, like Marilla was kind of groping him, which not cool, but like, she's cool. kind of like, Oh, I'm so scared. Like, Oh my gosh. And yeah. then, and, and <laughs> but also he's like the richest person in this situation, which the uncle's sitting there like shit. Like, this guy has the highest title out of all these men. <laughs> we should have taken the nicest of the carriages just sitting here. We should have gone for a shoddier carriage. And this is going to come up later. But Cat was the first person to get pushed into the carriage. And Brett was, like, really deep into a drunk sleep when he was, like, in there. And so he thought that he starts, like, kind of, like, nuzzling her neck and is like, oh, Delilah. Oh and no! Like, she's like, "How the fuck is Delilah?" That's not my name. Nope. Um, <laughs> that's not my you. name. That's not my name. Um, and so now the storm is rolling in. So they're sitting here like, "Well, we're stuck in this castle. What are we gonna do?" Well, Taryn is like, "We'll go to your rooms," and they're like, "You don't have enough rooms for all of us because we have two bonus people." <laughs> so. So they stick Kat and Brett in a room, in a sitting room, and Taryn's like, just sleep on the little settee or like sleep oh. on the ground. And Kat's like, I'm not sleeping on the freaking ground. I'm not that poor. Literally, Kat is treated so shittily by Taryn the entire time. And every time he like forgets that she's there and oh, is like, what are you doing here? And she's like, your men kidnapped me. What do you mean I want to be doing here? 
He's like the boyfriend in the reboot of Gilmore Girls. Rory's Precisely. Boyfriend. Precisely. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, shoot, I forgot that you're here. So Brett is really taken back by Kat because she's kind of an abrasive woman who doesn't, like, put up with all the fake bullshit. She's nice and she's polite, but she's like... She's like, I don't care that you're a duke. You're so above my status. I'm not going to flaunt after you. You're never going to like pay attention to me. So there's no even point in me trying. Right. And quite frankly, I don't appreciate being kidnapped. Don't yeah. kidnap me. Well, Brett, Brett is, was in the, he wasn't a part of the kidnapping. Oh, right. Right. So, so he, she's like telling him this funny story about Taryn and I was like, Oh my gosh. Like, could you imagine this guy like ran down to the village, butt naked? Like it was so funny. Like she gives no care in the world that he is a man of like prestige and precedence. And like, this is a man who's also been a Duke since he was like a year old, pretty much or like a couple weeks old. And so he's been a Duke for most of his life. He is like, I don't really want to get married because everybody keeps throwing their daughters at me. Right. It's that situation. Mm -hmm. Um, So she tells him this funny story and Brett is so captivated by like her eyes and her carefree presence. He just kisses her. Just goes. We are on. Do you want to guess what page it is? How long does it take to kidnap a bunch of people? (laughs) Um, How many pages does it take to kidnap a group of women? 35. Great (laughs) guess. 35 and we are already macking. It would have been it would have been 30 but we had those bonus people we didn't mean to kidnap. Mm-hmm. And he he pulls away and says I should apologize and she says but you won't and he says it would be a lie. <laughs> like they're both like this was hot. Um you could have at least asked first I prefer consent. Yeah, but I mean it, it it's hot. They're both into each other. And they both kind of chalk it up to the circumstances, right? They're like, it's been a crazy night. Things are so out of whack. There's no chaperones here or anybody who's going to tell anybody, you know? So he's like teasing her. Like the banter is so good. That's something I love about Julia Quinn. She does banter banter very, very well. He's teasing her. She's kind of snapping back at him and being like, ugh, you know, like, how could you do that? And um, then she again recalls that he had called her Delilah and she's like, let me just file that one away. Okay. So they finally get their rooms the next morning over the breakfast table. um, There's this line where Brett, who is English, let's keep in Mm -hmm. mind, Mm -hmm. is saying like how freezing it was all night. That's another thing you keep hearing this entire book. It's so cold in this gosh darn castle. Um, And she's like, that's why the Scots get married young because they can share a bed and (laughs) have it be warm. And it was like kind of a scandalous joke for her to make. Got him. Got him. And she like tells him about a game called caber toss. I think that's how you say it. And we'll, we'll loop back around here in just a second. And he low-key is like, oh, I can do that. I can do, you know. And then he completely is like, she's like, well, how far do you think you could throw it? And he's like, I mean, a couple inches, maybe. <laughs> just just completely forfeits any masculine male malehood that he needs to. So what I love about this couple in their story is that it genuinely feels like they become friends. Like there's a great banter. It's funny. Like they love making fun of each other and their, themselves. So yeah. Marilla. It's natural. Yes. 
Marilla comes down and it's all drama and flair. So most of the women have changed into warmer dresses that they've kind of found in the castle. Um, but they're also old timey, right? Because there hasn't been a woman living here for years. So these are like dresses that are decades old. Right. They're and like that one guy's dead wife's dresses, right? Yeah. <laughs> what? Wait, wait. Which which are we referring to now? Or the, oh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The father of the two. The yeah. Two, yeah. No, well, not the father. He's the uncle. Or the uncle, sorry. The uncle. Yes. So in this old-timey dress, old dress, Marilla's boobs are just falling out. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, her boobs are just sitting on a shelf for everybody to see. And even, even Kat is sitting there, like, staring at her boobs like they're hypnotic. I can't not look at them. And Brett's looking at them like, I'm scared, but I am also staring at them. Um and then she's using terms like stiff and hard when she's talking about her bed last night. And like, <laughs> this girl is milking it. She's working mm -hmm. overtime. She says, you know what? You put me in a castle with a bunch of available men with titles. I'm absolutely going to work my ass off. <laughs> the mattress was girthy, stiff and hard. <laughs> so stiff. Just threw out my back. <laughs> So Bet, Brett, Bet, Brett and Kat go on a little walk and they're talking about how Marilla was so desperate to get a husband and how he would be probably safe with um like Marilla's older sister, Fiona, who doesn't want to get married. Like they're talking about how like she's kind of like a little tiger, like you're not safe around her, right? And this is constantly how people kind of refer to Marilla throughout the book is like this girl's going hard. <laughs> Like she's gonna claw your eyes out. She's literally going to claw your eyes out, and and he's like, "Oh, but do you want to get married?" And she's like, "Yeah, I want to get married, but like, I will never get married to the likes of you." And he's like, uh, "Excuse me," and she's like, "Well, I'm so low station. Like, I wouldn't even consider it. Like, that's just stupid. Like, I'm not, I'm not dumb, right? In our social standing." Mm -hmm. And so then he's like, "You know what? Let's be a shield for one another." I like, let's just hang out all the time, mm -hmm. almost like a fake dating situation mm -hmm. while we're here. Mm -hmm. And then you can protect me from Marilla and I will protect you from these other men. Like whatever. Th these men are no threat to her. Let me just say. No, no one has ever, especially as it pertains to content created by Julia Quinn, fallen <laughs> in love doing any Never. sort of being friends fake dating yep shielding of each other so i can't see any problems with this plan and absolutely no more kissing and brett says oh I'll, yeah i'll do my best okay and she confronts him by the way they're kind of like in this beer closet thing in this mm. castle when they're talking and and she kind of confronts him about the Delilah. And of course he doesn't remember because he was like half asleep. And he's like, wait, are you jealous? And she's like, no, no, no. And what better way to respond than for Brett to kiss her in this closet? Just which said no kiss. I'm not even joking. It was maybe on the same page. It was maybe like two pages away from him promising. And he's like, well, I, I said I try. <laughs> it didn't take me very long, but I said I try. Unacceptable. Um, also, Delilah was his old mistress he broke things off with. Not important. Okay. I love this quote. I actually tabbed this book. You'll see. I have a couple tabs in here. Um, that a couple of months ago when I read it. And this quote says, quote, 
The thing was, when she was in his arms, no, even when she was merely in the room with him, he was happy, not content, not pleased, happy, joyful. Good God, he sounded like a hymn. <laughs> Good God, I sound so Good stupid. <laughs> so, um, again, Taryn walks in on them in the closet and is like, Kat, what are you doing here? <laughs> what are you doing here? And she's like, you kidnapped me. He's like, not on purpose. Like, I'm telling you, this is like a, a sanctioned thing that keeps happening. It's like, you have to know I can't leave. <laughs> you gotta know you can at me. And the storm is just getting started. So they decide to go outside and everyone's like, why are we going outside? It's so freezing. But the Scottish are like, this is like our second nature. Don't worry about it. So, and they bring out a massive log, which is reported to be at least 16 stones and as thick as a man's leg, which I had to look up what a stone is considered. And that is considered 14 pounds, which would make this 224 pounds. Yeah. I also, for reasons I think will become pretty obvious, had to look up how much a stone weighed. And so it's crazy that it would be that many stones and also the size of a man's leg. At the same, I don't the know that that's... The thigh. I don't... Like, I, no offense, man legs, but I think that the, the log is much bigger. Okay, so at this time, I had asked you to look up what a caber toss was. I hope I'm saying that right, by the way. Um, I, my research is titled, It's Pronounced Cobber, but I'm going to preface <laughs> something in the second of my bullet points. So the first thing is that cobber toss is cool and awesome, and we should all be big fans. And the second thing is that it is spelled C-A-B-E-R, but the internet told me it's pronounced cobber. And if that's wrong, I'm so sorry. I don't know what to do. We're all She's just doing an that. Irish princess. She's not a Scottish princess. She cannot tell you. Yeah. So that's, look, we all know, we all know my deal. We all know my deal. Anyway, so we're going to talk about cobber toss. First things first, what is a cobber? I'm happy to tell you. The term has Gaelic roots. It's pretty much just means wooden beam. <laughs> um nice. and it is a big heady heavy wooden beam or like a giant log typically made from a large tree um and often weighing in one of the following ranges based on several sources so first of all credits to uh visit scotland.com and scotland.com which is where all of my research came from but i did see varying uh statements on how much the cobber weighs so it is either around 175 pounds or 80 kilograms that's per one source or it is around 11 stones or 154 pounds i don't know which one of those is accurate what you said i think is huge what did you say it was in the book <laughs> okay 14 pounds for a stone and it's 16 stones and so that would make it 224 pounds yeah, I so the most that I had seen, at least of these two sources, was 175. And one was very much like, it's for sure 11 stones, which I then uh, converted into pounds for my own brain. I don't know what it is. It is very, I'll just say it's very heavy. It's a big, heavy log. Very long. Heavy, big, heavy girthy, log. hard, stiff yes, log. stiff <laughs> log. And... <laughs> Anyway, um, as for Cobber Toss, you've probably seen this depicted on TV in some way, but it is that you, you, it's the sport of taking a big old wood beam, really hoisting that bad boy up, and then you just kind of give it a, just a real good toss. You just take it and you yeah. toss it. 
um, there's there's like actual method to this. So I watched videos <laughs> to try and see how it's done because the the description I'm about to give you, I don't think is very easy to visualize. But basically what you do is you take this log and first you pick it up. So like your hands are cradling the bottom of it and it's sticking straight up yeah, in the sky. Critical. Yeah. And then you run several steps with it. <laughs> and then you like squat down and hoist it up. And the, the goal is to flip it. So it, you want it to <laughs> land on the vertical side, right? Like yeah. not, you want it to land in what is called the 12 o'clock position. So uh, from visitscotland.com, there's a quote I pulled that says, the toss is judged on style rather than distance. Competitors aim to flip a log weighing up to 11 stones so that it falls away from them and in the 12 o'clock position. Um, the website also said that the length it travels is unimportant. I don't know if that's true, but it's, it's not so much that you want to, Row it super far, but you want to uh, using really good. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Me not method, but girth. like, all like I, good, I no. Good, basically, all I think of is the word girth at this. No, point. it's it was not the one I was looking for. But I appreciate your effort. Basically, I want to make sure that you're doing it correctly. Momentum. Like the like that you have the right grip on it, and that you're running with it, and then you hoist it. And then it most importantly is that it, it flips and then lands in that 12 o'clock position. There's like a line on the ground that you'll see. And then the goal is to flip it over the line in a way that would look like a, I recommend watching videos on YouTube. It's very fun. Um, anyway, all that scotland.com further clarified that uh, the, the cobber should make a straight flip. So it should go end over end with its larger end falling on the ground as accurately as possible. Usually this position is called the 12 o'clock position, but the important thing is that it makes a, a straight flip over and goes mm -hmm. over this line. Um, we have absolutely no idea who exactly invented the cobber toss. There are several theories uh, generally that it came from lumberjacks. Some say maybe it's because they needed to toss logs over chasms. <laughs> that seems like an odd way to make that happen. Um, I mean, on the one hand, it's a little weird, but on the other hand, I don't know how I'd get one of these things over a large a large gap so sometimes okay, you just gotta okay. hoist it um yeah. others said perhaps they were just showing off so maybe there's a big <laughs> chasm or maybe it's just a bunch of dudes showing off either perhaps way it's just men and their egos yet again making <laughs> history <laughs> either way probably dudes invented this a long time ago um cover toss is one of several of what are called heavy events um that are played at highland games and so i did a skosh of uh, research on Highland Games. I think that that's a fun thing and important thing to also talk about. So Scotland's Highland Games are typically one day events and they take place outside all over the country. Um, it's not just something that happens once in one place. There's like a season for it and it happens all over the place. Um, the games usually feature uh, cover toss, as we've mentioned, and also other heavy events like a hammer throw and a stone put and a weight throw. They'll do tug of war. They'll be Highland dancing and music. Sometimes there's a livestock event. Very like a fair in America, mm -hmm. um, sort of vibes, but also with these really uh, cool traditional games. Um, so the Highland Games have taken place for hundreds of years and are a very cool piece of Scotland's culture. Some say the origins go back as far as the 11th century, but um, according to the sources I researched, the like current iteration of what the Highland Games are uh, have been celebrated since around the 1800s, which is convenient because that's right now. Um, yeah. 
So yeah, we're actually at the around the end of the Highland Games right now. So they usually begin in May uh, with the Go Rock Highland Games, and then the peak of it is in July and August. And then the website I looked listed one that happened as recently as the 9th of September, and that that was probably like one of the last ones, at least on the website that I listed. So, so yeah, you're telling me next year I have time to get ready. You have you have almost exactly 365 days. I mean, from the last one, fewer than that, but you're real close to like a whole year to train. I'm gonna start now. Um, Hoist it, (laughs) hoist it. Um, it. Well, thank you so much for that research. That was excellent. You're welcome. Um, So they these guys are pulling out this log, and the Duke is looking at it like, "Are you shitting me?" Like he's like, "I'm not gonna be able to lift that shit at all." And he like gives like cat who's on the sidelines with the other ladies a what the fuck look like, are you serious? And he's like, you said it was a log and she's cackling. I mean, she's just dying. This little English man has no clue what he's getting himself in for. And so she, and like, she's like so unladylike she's snorting. She is like tears running down her face. She's like, it is a log. It is. And then he bursts out laughing. And they're both just like insane laughing at each other. And everybody's, yeah. Sometimes things are so bad, all you can do is laugh. And I've been there. And so the Duke is like, everybody's looking at them as if they're insane. And the Duke says, oh no, she needs to go inside. Uh, Let me take her inside and just scoops her into his arms. And she's still laughing, howling and like carries her into the house. And they go into a drawing room and they kind of have this little heart to heart where he's like, I want you to call me by my Christian name, which is a very big deal. He's a Duke, which like, it's always a big deal if somebody of, you know, noble birth Mm -hmm. wants you to call them by their Christian name, but a very big deal if it's a Duke who's like one step away from like actual royalty. Yeah, it's pretty fancy. Yes. And so then during this, there's this girl time that happens. You kind of see more personality from these women. So Cecily has been like oddly withdrawn this whole time, like avoiding the group as a whole. And then poor Fiona is so much more subtle than her sister and is willing to take a backseat for her sister. And for some reason is kind of like, I'll do whatever I can to get Morella married off, but I'm not looking for anything. Sure. Okay. Like the second season of Bridgerton. Exactly. Um, except for there's not really love between those sisters. Like these sisters kind of low-key hate each other. Um, so there's a lot of moving parts at this um, dinner uh, because the, there's a lot of things going on, right? We're setting up for some of the upcoming stories. So at the dinner, Marilla is like, oh, gee, did you see all these handsome men, cough, cough, rich, entitled men uh, today with the Kate Cobber, Cobber? Uh, it's so clear, like, that they're just wonderful, beautiful men who are just so strong. And like everyone's like, shut up, Marilla. Like <laughs> being so annoying. Gross. It's also like Robin is known to be a very he's the one inheriting the castle. He's known to be very charismatic and like suave and like a he's a notorious rake, but like he hasn't been himself since the kidnapping happened. And he's like <laughs> even though it didn't it happen sounds, to him and it sounds so serious sorry that does sound serious. absolutely seven brides for seven brothers style book <laughs> it's like he just doesn't want to be with the group he's like he's like i don't want anything to do with this 
this is so stupid. I prefer um, not to aid in a bet kidnapping. Thank you. <laughs> yes, clearly. And then Fiona is like asking people if they believe in love at first sight. And then she like kind of says like, well, no, I believe in love at first meaningful conversation. Like, I think you, I don't think you can fall in love with somebody's looks, but I think you could fall in love with them after having like a really valuable conversation. Bookmark that in the back of your brain. Okay. Got it. Um, Plus, everybody is just attracted by Marilla's boobs. I mean, they're everywhere. They're, they're just like everywhere. wiggling when she's laughing. She makes a slight movement and they're just shifted in front of your eyes, glaring at you like boob to eye contact. Anyway, so they play a game of blind man's bluff, which I think this is a really European thing. I don't think we do this really here. It's essentially Marco Polo. But then when you grab somebody, you have to identify who they are. Oh, so they play this game and no one really wants to play <laughs> and no one wants to be caught because Marilla is the one Ew. who's Marco. And um, she like is running after these rich men. <laughs> oh, oh just... she coming. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, she is literally a little predator and um, she catches Brett and then she kind of like, I don't want to say gropes him, but like, it's like kind of feeling his shoulders and is like feeling his face a little bit. And she was like, well, there's no way to, you know, find out who this is. Like, I just couldn't imagine. And then Kat gets pissed off and is like, unhand my man. Mm -hmm. And everybody just goes quiet. And they are kind of, and then she kind of gets embarrassed because she's like, I created a scene technically marilla wasn't doing anything that wasn't against the game's rules i look like a stupid idiot right now and then brett's like no no no, you don't look like a stupid idiot and then gets down on one knee and literally as he's trying to propose to her marilla is like says her aside gets in there marilla quote is like he is not proposing to her (laughs) like scratch that off the list um out of the way stand in her place yeah (laughs) snatch that ring he proposes and he gives her his family ring and says i want you to keep it safe for our son someday very cute (laughs) so So, on page like 45 now or each story is about 100 pages a little over so all right so the next part is written by eloisa james um we are picking up on byron who is the other unengaged nephew in the same moment watching this old friend, by the way, the guys know each other because they all kind of ran in the same social circles and they all went to kind of school together. So he's like, this is my old friend getting engaged to a woman he met 24 hours ago. I was about to ask if they had specified how much time had passed. Actually, it's been a whole day. It's been essentially by this whole book is maybe three, possibly four days. Plus, to be fair, everybody's lived a lifetime of hell on the shittiest Jenga tower. You know so. what? You don't know when the next volcano is going to blow. The world is on fire. Yeah. Kidnap people and get married to them immediately. You got it. You, you got it. Don't do that, though. That's crime. Don't do crime. He, he's also, like, disturbed by everything his uncle did. He's like, this has been a wacko 24 hours and Taryn comes up and starts talking crudely to Byron being like, you need to get a girl, like get, like snatch one of them up. And, um, Fiona, who's that older sister, mm-hmm. uh, overhears this and she's kind of like, ew. Yeah, it's gross. Ew. That's gross. Um, and Byron's like, you know what? I don't care what she thinks anyway. And <laughs> so we, let's go into Fiona's mind for a second. 
Fiona, it is implied that Fiona has a very bad reputation, that she has had something happen. Would you like to guess what has happened that she has a bad reputation in 1819? Um, yeah, I'm going to guess it's something like she, I don't know, wore pants or read too many books or like was smart or maybe a guy tried to propose to her and she said no and that was really offensive. Something stupid like that. Well, it is stupid, but it's uh, also absolutely ridiculous. Um, So she was engaged to a guy and Mm -hmm. I'll tell you the series of events. Essentially they went to a ball and he got way too drunk and like made a couple of physical passes at her. And she was like, um, no, you're drunk. Get away from me. You grosso Mm -hmm. then goes home that night. And then he comes to her window and tries to climb up her window Mm -hmm. to like get into her bedroom and talk to her like trying to pull a little Romeo and Juliet moment, he falls from her window and dies. (laughs) But everybody in town interprets this as she had her fiance and lover in her bedroom and he fell from her window. Therefore she had sex. She's the a only woman. The only reasonable. I mean, honestly, I don't know what I, conclusion I would have come to, but yeah, yeah. So now she's like, you know what? I'm never going to get married. Also, my mama's rich and she's giving me her money, and my daddy's rich and he's giving my, that his money to Marilla. I yeah. have my own fortune. I don't. Really I'll be a spinster. <laughs> yeah, I'll be a freaking spinster. I don't need. I don't need That's this stuff. Fine. So she's like, I'll lock it down for my sister, though. You know, even though my sister's an absolute biatch, I will lock it down for her. Um, Meanwhile, Byron is like resonating with this idea of marriage because he has always seen it as a duty of respect, right? You want to find somebody you mutually respect that you want to have a partnership with. He's never considered love or anything, but he has like this deep seated trauma about walking in on his fiance with this dance instructor. Sure. And like to a degree, he thinks he, she did it on purpose so that she could get out of the engagement. So he has like a lot of like self image and like issues, like self-consciousness because he thinks everybody, everybody kind of acts like he's a very stuffy guy. Like he's kind of like, he's handsome and he's got a title ish, but he's very like button up straight lace, you know? Okay. So he's like, you know what? I can make a woman fall in love with me. No problem. I can be suave. I can be a little bit of a rake. I can do this. I'm I'm going to make Marilla fall in love with me. Boy, that will not be too hard. First of all, you don't even have, yeah, I think if you just stand there, you're good, actually. Yeah. yeah. So Fiona hides herself, herself away in a library drawing room to do some reading and have some tea away from everybody. Really? Yeah, me too, girl. Um, Byron happens upon her, and this woman like could not be more unbothered by his presence. Like, this book is a bunch of egotistical men who have a little bit of self-confidence issues set straight by a woman who doesn't give a fuck. Hey. And I love it. And honestly, love it. I'm gonna tell you right now, Fiona's our queen. Fiona is everything we want to be and more. He is like kind of trying to woo her and like try his little suaviness on her. And she's like, um, I think you're in the wrong room. Oh, Do you want to leave? Like she's being nice about it, but she's like low key telling him to go. Like you don't want to knock up, you know, you don't want to bark up this tree, you know, don't knock on this door. And 
so she's like, I have no interest in, I have no interest in marrying. I'm a ruined woman. Like you have no reason to be here just letting this guy down in every single direction. And he kind of like starts low keeping like, well, what about your sister? Like, let's talk about your sister, you know? Don't want that. Um, And then he says something along the lines of like, I like, would you think you say that your sister is adored? Like, do you think she's like too adored by others? And he's like, I, I think he has like this trauma that he oh. doesn't want them to be tempted to cheat on him. And sure. so he doesn't want them to be too adored, which is a little messed up. Um, but he ends up going. And then a couple hours later, he like runs in and like says, like, I'm not here. I'm hiding from your sister. <laughs> I, I need you to act like I'm not here. Okay. Could have so, warned you. She, she, he hides. And then Marilla comes in and she's like, oh, it's you. Like <laughs> her sister. And she's like, she like essentially calls her sister fat. <laughs> and then like insults her five different ways and then skips off to go find Byron. Okay. Amazing. So Byron comes out of hiding and says, quote, your sister is a threat to every unmarried man in Great Britain. <laughs> well, maybe. Well, um, he reveals that essentially Marilla dropped the top of her dress down on accident and flashed him. <laughs> on accident. And <laughs> on accident. Like just titties out. Just t- tits out for the and- boys. I guess. All Fiona has to say is like, well, you can't blame us for our ill-fitting dresses under these conditions. <laughs> I can't help that your aunt didn't have taste or fear of too much cleavage in her life. <laughs> you know what? And honestly, Fiona's a girl's girl. You know, your sister just flashed a guy in the most improper way ever, like with no build up and you're just like you know what you can't blame her she's just a little baby you know she's just a little baby what can you do so i'm just doing a lot of shrugging for for the audience here's here's what i'm gonna say the majority of their interaction of their story byron and fiona's happens in this library and it's a conversation so if we, you remember back, she had said, I think you could fall in love with somebody in one meaningful conversation. Yes, I do remember that core memory in my brain. Yes. So they kind of go all these ups and downs. And um, at one point he's talking about his fiance because this is known. Like everybody knows that his fiance cheated on him and stuff. And he's kind of like dumping his heart out to her. And her internal dialogue says, quote, the stuffy Earl was obviously having some sort of stuffy person's crisis and she was thoroughly enjoying watching it. <laughs> End quote. Oh my. Like, she's just like, okay, rich boy and your problems. Like, I don't know what you want from me, but what we're both, say? we're both damaged goods in our own way. Exactly. And they keep kind of talking hypotheticals about the prospects of him marrying her sister, but you can tell that they're baiting each other and like finding reasons to talk. It's not actually, he's not actually interested in her sister. No. He's just trying to get to know more about her really. And so um, I would like to read this passage to you because they're talking about the boob flashing incident. Okay. <laughs> uh-huh. 
boob game. This is a little longer one. Boobaloo. <laughs> Boob boobaloo. Yes. And so, quote, if you're asking whether I'd prefer to avoid the experience of having another strange breast fall into my hand like an over overripe plum, then the answer is yes. What if it weren't a strange breast, she asked, unable to resist. I am not familiar with any woman's breasts, Byron replied. At the moment, the world is full of strange breasts, end quote. <laughs> Look, the world is full of strange breasts. In full this of strange time, breasts in this, this shitty Jenga time. <laughs> in these unprecedented, unfamiliar boob times, it's, it's a strange world out there. Strange boobs here, there, around the square. So he's like, they brought in tea at one point that's like clearly spiked. Um, like it's oh. it's some cider and maybe, you know, liquor. And sure. he's getting low-key drunk. And he's like trying to seduce her, albeit not the most rake-worthy seduction, but oh, still no. it's kind of working. And he hand-feeds her a crumpet. Hot. <laughs> hot. 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 <laughs> And he like pushes her to use his Christian name. She keeps using her title, his title. And at one point he's like, I'm going to kiss you if you keep using my title. And sure enough, he does. Or she says his title. And then he like is a starved man at KFC ready to go ham. Like he's like, I've been waiting for you to slip up because women always make mistakes. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, this man is a little messed up, but I love her. Um, Jeez so, Louise. And so, in the midst of this makeout session, she stops him and says, "Like I don't do this." I she says, "Quote: I don't do this. I know I have a terrible reputation, but I'm not a whore." And then, like this takes a whole like, "I shall not be tempted by you because you locked the door." And he's like, "I locked the door to keep your sister out because she's." freaking insane and now i have ruined you so now you're gonna have to marry me anyway like this all came up roses for me like shucks and she's like <laughs> and then he confesses that like <laughs> he's like she says at one point i what are you what are you doing like this is so uncharacteristic of like the stuffy guy you're supposed to be and he's like you know what I was going to try and make a woman fall in love with me this afternoon. <laughs> and she's like, wait, wait, you know. wait, was I an experiment? And he's like, quote, I suspect I have gone a little mad. Whenever I touch you, I feel as if you are the woman I have been looking for my whole life, though I have denied even to myself that I was looking End quote. Okay. Well, then. That's kind of cute. But like still he's like gone ravenous and he's a little drunk. But okay. And it's been 24 hours. And these women were kidnapped. 48 hours by this point. It's been 48 hours. And these um, women have been kidnapped. So like also at one point they're making out and he says, quote, I promise to spend at least 40 years getting to know you because she kept saying like, you don't even know me. You don't even know me. Also, well, look, I know lifespans were really short. But like 40, 40, 40 years, even for right now, that's kind of a lot. Why do you cap though? Like don't cap. I, I will cease to care about getting to know you after 40 years. 
He's like also in the middle of telling her he wants to see her naked on his bed wearing only a ruby necklace. And then like a servant walks in to tell them like dinner's ready. <laughs> and then I'm going to paint you like one of my French girls. Just kidding. We hate the French. Yes, we hate the French. That's and why it's a ruby. <laughs> not, not a blue. Not a blue sapphire. So at dinner, it is so clear that Byron is like head over heels for Fiona that the man kisses Fiona in front of everybody, like just unannounced. I'm doing this now. And Marilla steps in and is like, I have to save my sister from a lust filled animal of a man because you just think you can just do whatever with her because she's branded a whore in Scotland. <laughs> To be fair, you have been also just trying to make out with people in a way that isn't, like, cool in this society specifically, ma'am. Hot meat kettle. Like, it's just <laughs> hilarious. And then Marilla spills that her fiancé died from, you know, falling from the the window. Mm -hmm. And Taryn even says, like, everybody's pissed off at Marilla. They're like, this was so uncalled for. You're so rude. And Taryn even says, quote, you and I, Lassie, are going to have a good talk. Because it's obvious to all of us that your beauty in your face does not match your heart. True. Pop off. Pop True. Off. So Taryn made Marilla cry because he like obviously goes <laughs> off on her. Well. And Marilla goes and apologizes to Fiona. And Fiona's like, you know what? It's fine. I'm going to go. Like, I think I lost something in the carriage. I'm going to go see if I can find it. And My dignity is... <laughs> sense of yeah, self my pride is just at the bottom of the carriage and there's a rope that goes from the main house to the carriage house because it, the snow is so thick i mean the storm's raging yeah. and so she like claws her way out there and she's got a bunch of wine and she just lays down in the hay and she just starts getting drunk i mean this girl goes out and she's like you know what I don't want to see this man get married. I don't want to go have another season down in London and watch him flirt and dance with all these girls. You know what? I have enough money. I'm going to go to the continent. I'm going to get myself a lover. I'm going to travel with them. She's like daydreaming. It and sounds better, honestly. Honestly, go. Leave yeah. this man yeah, right what, now. What would stop you from this good life you could have? Our man Byron comes out because he's worried about her in the storm. He like realizes she went out there and doesn't want her out in the storm. And... This man is now like trying to profess his feelings to her while she's drunk, half asleep in a pile of pay. And she even says, quote, would you mind not crouching over me like some sort of demented house cat grown large? Yeah, would you mind? <laughs> this woman is everything. This woman, I'm always saying that. <laughs> everybody is a demented house cat grown large. And... Then she like unknowingly convinces him that she has an Italian lover because she's babbling drunkenly, right? Oh no. And like she kind of sobers up. They're having a conversation. It gets more serious. And he's like starting to undress her. And he she's like, What are you doing? And he's like, he's she says, Why are you doing this? And he says, Because I'm marrying you. And she's like, Did I miss the part where you asked? <laughs> well, did um, I? <laughs> Look, it's very consensual at this point. She's sobered up. Um, and the man ends up going down in her on her. Down in on her oh, in a, down, up down in her. In, on her in a horse stall, which I'm just proud he went down because sometimes in these historical romances, they don't even acknowledge oral sex. So yeah. I'll take it's, it. We'll take it. I'm good with it. Then he like looks that she's laying down on this um woolen like 
blanket mm-hmm. and he's like her back's gonna get rubbed raw on that yes. one blanket correct so he puts her on top of him oh so that she won't feel uncomfortable mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. chivalry is not dead it's it's simply not dead <laughs> Now, finally, I want to ask, how would you feel if a man referred to you as, quote, liquid silk? <laughs> not, not, hmm. I mean, it's not the worst one. <laughs> it's like, there's nothing inherently bad about it. I don't know that it's, it, the problem is that my reaction would be what it just was, which is, hmm. Mm, that's so interesting. Thank that, you. That's, that is, you know, that is interesting. Is that what I would say? Yeah, that is interesting. He also throws down, he has, I guess, a fur something or other, like a cape or something. And he nice. throws that down and then like, you know, has sex with her real good. And they decide that they're engaged and it's so cute and lovely. They would okay. super have to be at this point. Yeah, so. no. I mean, she's a ruined wor- woman anyway. So That's whatever. True, but. Um, so now we're going to go into the last story, which is Connie Brockway's. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to skim over this so fast because okay. there's really not a lot of plot here. Sorry, Connie. Sorry, Connie. I did enjoy your writing. It just was the least interesting because it's love at first sight. And it's the least believable. Okay. So we start with Marilla is literally harassing Robin. <laughs> awesome. I'm telling you, she's your favorite character. I. <laughs> she is harassing him. And Robin's like, Robin's known to be a rake, right? And so she's like, okay, everyone else is shackled up. Let's do this. And he's like, I'm not going to put you in a compromising position. And she, he says, I'm not going to compromise you. And she literally says, why not? <laughs> why well, not? Fair enough. Why not? And he points out, I wasn't even your first pick. Literally, you have tried every other man in this castle. Well, her attempts to seduce him go nowhere. And it turns out Cecily saw the whole interaction. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about Cecily. Cecily is like an uptight, prim and proper girl. She's looking for a love match. She's been told by her parents even that like she should look for a love match. And her heart like is head over heels for Robin. She literally saw him and was like, this is everything I want and more. Uh, okay, sure. That's but nice. he's a notorious rake. So of uh. course... Like they both seclude themselves to keep from speaking to one another because they've already made up in their minds it could never work. Sure, sure, sure. She's like, he's a rake. He will never like me. He mm-hmm. says, I'm a rake and she's a nice girl. I She would never go for me. Okay? Yes. That is the entire plot of their book. I'm going to let you know right now. <laughs> we did it. So they finally have run into each other and have a conversation. And at one point in their conversation, he's like, well, it's hard to sell to a potential wife to like come and marry me and live up here in this castle and raise a family. And she's like, why? This sounds like this castle isn't so bad. I love this frigid, terrible, cold castle with bad clothes to wear. Yes. And he's like, well, you know, you know, blue lips are not really in style. Uh, because of the cold i'm glad we were almost right (laughs) and then he was like i can't let you be out of style and then like makes out with her (laughs) well then and then after this makeout he makes a comment about being a rake which he perceives as he was only making out with me because he's a rake and so (laughs) also find out that cecily has five marriage proposals on on the roster and her her family's been debating between them 
And he finds this out and is like, you know what? I have no chance in hell of this working. I'm going to give her a good last make out. And then I'm going to leave her, you know, one good last kiss for the memories. That is so rude (laughs) for the rules of this society, which is like, if you even kind of touch each other, you absolutely have to get married. This man is like, she's got a ton of better than me matches. Better make her undesirable to everyone in some sort of sad last ditch effort to make out with her face. Yeah. And here's the thing over the course of some conversations that happen, like they kind of keep meeting up and chatting. um, She keeps trying to express to him, you know, my father would approve of love of a love match if we loved each other. And Robin's like, I don't believe it for a second. It's an insane sell. (laughs) And he's like, your dad wants title and a month and money for you, which I barely got a title and I've got no money. So, like, mm-hmm. what do you want? And also, she's really rich. So, technically, she doesn't need the money. But it's a pride True. thing, right? right? Yeah. And so, after, like, there's been so many miscommunications. That's another thing is it's love at first sight and it's miscommunication, which I fucking hate. I cannot Miscommunication stand it. is one of my least favorites. Makes me so, crazy. So, she decides to give him a very green light and just goes to his room late at night. And he's like what are you doing here? And he's like trying to, you know, restrain himself from like jumping on her Marilla style, you know? Uh (laughs) And, and she's like, Oh, well, I just wanted to come up here and seduce you. I think I'll be the seductress tonight, you know? And uh, we'll see. And he's like, you know what? Um, You're absolutely right. And starts macking out with her. I'm just going to say macking out now because making out just doesn't macaroni and cheese and macaroni and cheese. And she, while they're making out, she actually asks him to marry her. Ooh. Very progressive. Connie. Connie baby. Connie's back, baby. Anybody on TikTok, Connie baby, this your look. Anyway, so they actually don't end up having sex because he is trying to be a good boy and wait until they have marriage and can like do whatever he wants to her. <laughs> Gotta un- have that marriage un- first. Yeah. Uninterrupted. He's like, I'm going to do this right. We're going to do it right. Um, so if you reflect on these relationships quickly before I give you the last bit of like final, you know, mm-hmm. end of story, our main boy, uh, Robin, was yes. supposed to marry a Scottish girl and have a Scottish baby. Yeah, He marries the one English girl they brought. True. Fail. Uh, fail. The two spares, the most lowly girl and the most high-ranked guy end mm-hmm. up together. Mm-hmm. The two people with damaged pasts end up together. Mm-hmm. So do you know who we have left? Yeah, the annoying one. Yeah, and anybody else? And is it the is who's left the dude who was just in the trunk or in the no 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 who's left the the de- the uncle? So the snow passes. The snow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad we've skipped ahead in our brains to know exactly oh, what this no. means. So okay. the snow passes and people can travel now. So all these dads and like men from these families. Where the fuck are our children? Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, they roll up and they're like, we know you got them, Taryn. And what they find is a wedding. Okay. Mm-hmm. And a wedding happening all at once with all of these women and men. 
and everyone seven is getting for married. Seven brothers. <laughs> no, four brides for four very um, damaged men. Because even Taryn and Marilla get married. Because honestly, all Marilla wanted was a castle and a title. And she can get both from this man. <laughs> She's like, I don't need to be in love with you. I don't need to find you attractive. I want your money and I want your castle. Okay. <laughs> so the irony is also that the one girl who had the damaged reputation was the only one who got dick down. <laughs> I also find that iconic. Um, so that is our story. I just love that there's so many wackiness elements to this mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it is apt it is the epitome of historical wacky romance um what are your thoughts any final thoughts for us well it's it's it is truly in my head for brides for for dudes not necessarily brothers yeah so i enjoyed it because i also enjoy seven brides for seven brothers um, so we first have our question of diversity, which I am going to give a one because there's really no diversity. Um, I could not, I could not distinguish you any diversity. No, I was going to give it a zero to one rating for, I just I, kind I of, might, it might be on me for assuming everybody is white. But no, I think also... you're pretty fair. That's pretty fair. We, I think as a policy should just say that we, the lowest we'll go is one because zero would be not applicable like we did last time. Cool. Then Sound yes. Sounds great. Okay. A so one. plot, plot, what are you going to give it? I would give the plot a three. Okay. I'm giving it a four for historical romance, which somebody once said that like a Jane Austen book was essentially everybody going to different houses and having conversation that is True. most of historical romances with some like funny goofy moments in between so for a historical romance i think this plot is actually hilarious and really really fun um so then what are you going to give uh the smut factor i will also give the smut a three i appreciate that we have some going down on in a time where i don't know how frequently that happened because people have really talked about it so some light innovation there, but it's not like there was tons and tons of it strewn throughout the book. Yes. I'm actually going to give it a two. I wish that if we're going to have three different stories, give me, I mean, one only each. one of them, you know, only Come one on. of them got to have sex and only, it was good sex. Allegedly. I wasn't there, but <laughs> I kind of heard it was there. <laughs> um, so I have the old cover. Um, they do have new covers, but we're going to base it on the old one. Will you please tell me what it looks like? Yes. So it says the lady most willing in some fanciful red font. This is exactly the kind of book that my uh, Nana would have on her bookshelf in the room. We'd stay in at my Nana and Pops' house. Um, it says it's a USA Today bestseller. It has a list of all of our authors on there. And then there is one woman on the front uh she's wearing a very beautiful blue kind of satiny gown with some short puffy sleeves and behind her she's got kind of a uh what's the term i'm looking for her the pattern on her cape oh like oh gosh a plaid yeah kind a of like plaid, a plaid. like a scottish you know i think there's a more official that's not the not plaid term for that but you understand what i mean yes, for a visual I perspective Oh, she, I think, has red hair, or is it just brown? Yeah, it it's looks a red reddish hair, and I think she's supposed to be Fiona, because Fiona was supposed to have red hair, and Fiona was supposed to also have glasses, but I don't know. It could be brown. I don't know. 
Maybe I'm wrong. Reddish brown hair. Her, her head's turned way off to the side, so you can't see any discerning facial features. But her hair is up, and it looks real nice. Awesome. What are you going to give the cover? I would have liked to have seen more people, but I don't mind the cover because it gives me a little bit of nostalgia. So I'll also give it a three. Great. I gave it a two. Honestly, it's you're right. There's nostalgia there. Mm -hmm. um, this ends up with me giving 45% and you giving a 50%. This is kind of low for us. This is kind of low for us. But um, I had I still had a great time. What is your time. say smut, what the smut moment? You can't kidnap. You can't kidnap people. Yeah. Don't kidnap people. No. No. And then it stormed. And that was pretty bad. So then they were just stuck there. It was a terrible plan. And they all got married in like 48 hours. That's crazy. 72 at least. Oh, sorry. I I didn't account for each part of the book being a full kind of, 24 yeah, hours. Kind of. It's kind of supposed to be like 24 hours. I, what I'll say is that it's about 24 hours worth of interacting with your partner who you end up marrying yes. almost immediately after. And in that way, they each got like a solid 24. Yes. I appreciate that they each waited a day so that each couple could have their own kind of day of falling in love. And then we're just doing it all on top of each other. Yes. I love this. I think... My what the smut moment is obviously like don't kidnap like that was ridiculous, but I love how lighthearted they made the whole thing. Like, even though they kind of had some serious elements of like kidnapping, they were like, you know, oh, oops, we also kidnapped the Duke. Whoops. And then, you know, Kat, why are you here? Like, it was just <laughs> great. But also, I love the moment where this man looked at his woman on a wool blanket and said, that's uncomfortable. So therefore she gets shotgun. Like I can't um, let her get a rash. And no. I appreciate that foresight. Yeah. I love that foresight. Kind. Um, and so, yeah, look, there's a lot of uh, really cool elements, I think, to this where, you know, they like the fact that the guy who wasn't supposed to be a rake turned out to be the only one that had sex. And the girl who was allegedly rumored had sex and then you know like the guy was supposed to marry a scottish girl chooses the only english girl like there's all these little elements that i think kind of make it fun um well thank you that was our book thanks, i thanks for coming today guys yeah and look if you so choose follow us on tiktok instagram and twitter at at say smut podcast additionally we'd love to hear your book recommendations i'm taking so many recommendations at this time i have a a lot of friends sending me options to go with. Uh, and you can send those via email to say smut podcast at gmail.com. Also, we'd love a rating or review. We want your honest rating or review, but I mean, if you're going to be like super mean, like unnecessarily mean, um, I will, uh, not accept it because hope's heart can't take it. So I, yeah, I simply won't read it. it. Not that your feelings aren't valid. It's just that they will hurt mine too much to read. Yeah. Well, Look, that's why I'm the moderator. So that's why she's the moderator. Yeah. Look, bundle up, get yourself a Scotsman, and cozy up this cuffing season. Um, and we'll see you next time. Bye bye. Bye bye.